This is the Capitol Press Room, and we're turning our attention to the influx of asylum seekers in New York and the response from elected officials across the state. And to do all that, we're joined by Murad Awada, Executive Director of the New York Immigration Coalition. Welcome back to the show, Murad. Thanks for having me, David. Well, it's our pleasure. Well, for starters, can you explain why New York, and New York City specifically, has seen an influx of asylum seekers over the last year, and how this dynamic has changed with the uh, expiration of Title 42 at the federal level? New York, for centuries, has welcomed immigrants and refugees, and we've seen folks coming from Europe, from the Middle East, from Asia, from Africa, and beyond. Uh, No matter where you look, the immigrant footprint is there here in the state of New York. If it's the revitalization of upstate communities or being the backbone of local economies, um, the immigrant and refugee communities have consistently stood up and helped New York advance into the future. And this time is no different. Um, We know that there is an enormous amount of uh, work that's out there that, you know, we have workforce gaps that we need to fill. And this is an opportunity for us to do that, as well as at the same time, provide people with the safety that they're looking for. Over the past year, we've seen an increase in folks making their way to New York um, for a number of different reasons. We're seeing, you know, a lot of conflict in countries uh, like Venezuela. We're seeing the collapse of other countries. We're seeing, uh, you know, a lot of issues that are leading people to feel incredibly unsafe um, in their own homes. Because at the end of the day, no one wants to leave their home if they feel safe, right? Like that's the reality that we find ourselves in in this moment. And just to clarify, folks seeking asylum in the United States is their right. We have U.S. law that says it's legal, as well as international law that we have signed on to. So yeah, I think that that kind of sums up where we've been over the past year. And Title 42 ending um, on May 11th actually has slowed and nearly stopped migration from the southern border um, because of Biden policies that he put in, uh, like Title 8 and the transit ban, which make it nearly impossible at this point to seek asylum at the southern border. And he's pretty much single-handedly gutted the asylum system. Well, it's interesting to hear your take on the ramifications of the expiration of Title 42, because we heard from some experts that this was going to lead to a further exacerbation of the issue. So is that not happening? Was there an influx leading up to the expiration? Can you talk a little bit about that? So Title 42 is a public health policy that that the Trump administration put in place um, for the first time ever at a port of entry. It's been used in uh, previous years for um, interior public health issues. Um, So for Title 42 to be used in this way at the southern border was nefarious and was being done by the Stephen Millers of the world as a way to prohibit folks from actually entering the United States. The difference between under the Trump administration and the Biden administration right now with Title 42 when it was in place was that Title 42 had a number of countries that were listed who would be not allowed to enter the U.S. And we didn't have South American countries part of that list. And that's where the vast majority of people who have been who had come into the U.S. into the for the past year were coming from. So from Venezuela or from Peru or Colombia 
Um, that's where the population initially was migrating from, as well as other uh, folks from some African nations like Senegal and Mali. So, you know, I think that the Title 42 allowed for prohibiting people from entering. And then um, people from other countries who were not part of that initial list were making their way and into the United States because of circumstances changing on the ground in their countries. And then in October and November of this past year, the Biden administration expanded Title 42 and added the uh, Venezuela, Colombia, and other countries to the list. And that slowed down entry for folks coming into the U.S. and pretty much continuing to not allow people to seek asylum in the United States. So that's that's what the difference has been. Um, and now with Title 42 and pretty much done, um, the transit ban and being in place, it's even worse than Title 42 for those seeking safety and refuge in the United States. And can you elaborate then on how the public should talk about and think about these people? Because we hear different phrases thrown out, uh, asylum seekers, migrants, uh, uh, some people will use uh, undocumented uh, immigrants. Some of this might be right, some of this might be wrong. What is the correct way to think about and talk about uh, the people that are coming to America uh, in this circumstance? You know, I say this often, there is no right or wrong way, right? Our immigration system is arcane and broken. And we've needed to update it and reform it for the past three decades. And we have right, but 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 under the situation we have now, what is the correct way, based on our circumstances, right or wrong, to talk about the people who are here and to think about them in the existing system? They are legally seeking asylum in the United States. And can you expand on that? What that entails? So, folks who are seeking asylum, and many of the people, if not all, who are now in New York. Um, actually made their way to the southern border and presented themselves to immigration officials seeking asylum. Um, they were processed in, and now they are. They have to continue through the process, which is completing their final application, um, meeting with immigration officials where they land if they came to New York here. And uh, we have two areas that people can go to, one in Buffalo, another in New York City at uh, 26 Federal Plaza. And then they have a long journey ahead of them through the court process. So this population is legally seeking asylum in the United States and are currently lawfully present in the United States. And what do elected officials in New York owe asylum seekers who show up in their community, whether from a legal or a moral perspective? And how does that compare to what has been happening prior to, I guess, the recent escalation of arrivals? Again, New York has been a welcoming place for immigrants and refugees for centuries. The only difference in this recent population that has made their way to New York is that they don't have a community or familial connection to the city or the state, and they need a little bit of help to get on their own feet. And I think that in this regard, uh, you know, we all come from somewhere else. We've all, our families all have uh, a lineage of um, where we came from before this, be it from Ireland, Italy, from across Europe or across Asia or um, the Middle East and beyond. We have all come here from somewhere else. And it is New York has always been a beacon of light and hope um, with the Statue of Liberty in our harbor uh, to, to welcome new individuals who are seeking a better life for themselves and their families. And we need to continue that tradition. 
we need to double down on that in this moment and continue to support people who need a little bit of help as they get on their feet, who are going to be huge contributors to our economy and to our society. And I think to elected officials who are listening, it's imperative for our elected leaders to be championing humanity and not division or racism or bigotry or xenophobia, but actually uh, welcoming thy neighbor in this moment. And what does that look like, though, from a practical sense? Is it just about a place to live? Is it about setting up with uh, job prospects? Is it about accessing federal or state benefits? What should they be practically getting hooked up with in terms of services? I think what it looks like is different for different folks. Many people Mm -hmm. are in different places with their immigration legal um, application process, right? Some may have already submitted, some are in the process of submitting, or some are looking for a lawyer to assist them in submitting their application. So definitely uh, ensuring that we have the legal services available, making sure that people are provided with some shelter. And what we're seeing is that Adults who are entering the shelter system here in New York City are not longtime stayers. They're staying about 30 or 45 days until they're able to get on their own feet and then leaving the system. So these are folks who are self-starting, going into uh, the informal and formal work economy and trying to to give back and earn their own way in this moment and making sure that they have healthcare, um, you know, access to those services as well as going to be important. Because what we've seen with the pandemic is that we're only as healthy as our neighbors are. Um, And then making sure that we're passing policies at the state and local levels um, to ensure that we're addressing some of these historical issues, right? Our shelter system in New York City um, has been broken for decades. And our unhoused neighbors have not been getting enough support to get out of the shelter system. We know that families are in the shelter system for at least over 500 days. Um, before receiving support to get out of the emergency shelter system. We need to be doubling and tripling down in our historically unhoused population to get them into permanent housing because that's the real solution here. Well, you mentioned the shortage of housing and the issue of homelessness that has already existed around New York. So how should asylum seekers be prioritized when it comes to finding housing based on the current level of resources and the current capacity that we have right now? Yeah, we're dealing with an affordability and a housing crisis across the state, but also across this country. So it's not a very local issue to us here in New York. And in New York City, uh, what we've seen is that people are not, the shelter system didn't break because asylum seekers came to New York City. The shelter system was broken before they entered it. And prior to the increase in asylum seekers coming into the shelter system. We had over 100,000 people in the shelter, public and private shelter system in New York City. That is untenable. That is immoral. We need to do better. And we need to prioritize people who have been historically unhoused and get them into permanent housing. New York City also has several thousand um, HPD apartment units that are available, as well as over almost 1,000 NYCHA units. Let's fill them up. You know, we have the units. Why are we sitting on them? We need to really be helping people get out of the shelter system and into um, housing as quickly as we can and by prioritizing those who've been waiting the longest. And after a quick break, we'll have more with Murad Awada, executive director of the New York Immigration Coalition.
Support for the Capitol Press Room provided by the New York State AFL-CIO, a federation of 3,000 unions fighting for working people by keeping New York State union strong. Visit unionstrongny.org for more information. For listeners just joining us, we're continuing our conversation with Murad Awada, executive director of the New York Immigration Coalition, who's discussing the influx of asylum seekers that New York has experienced over the last year and in recent weeks. New York City Mayor Eric Adams has been looking to at least temporarily house some of the asylum seekers outside of the five boroughs. What do you think of that? And is there a version of that that makes sense? Across the state of New York, from Buffalo down to Brooklyn to the East End Long Island has had um, really amazing contributions from immigrant and refugee communities for forever. You know, we want people to be able to go to where they want in the state of New York and be provided the support that they need to be able to get on their own feet. So for us, it's more so making sure that we're moving in that direction and providing uh, the opportunities uh, that are necessary to allow people um, to not just be able to survive here, but to thrive here. Are there some counties or municipalities that make more sense for housing asylum seekers than others? For example, as you mentioned, uh, in terms of upstate resources, there's uh, the, the Buffalo facility. So does Erie County make more sense than, say, uh, the North Country? How do you think about all that? I think that we just have to prioritize space based on where there will be support and services as well as um, the ability for people to integrate within local communities. And that's, you know, you know, we are celebrating 250 years as a country in a year or two. And we need to continuously remember that uh, folks have long come to this country seeking hope and, and the opportunity to live a better life. Um, so across the entire state, is is has communities that have been coming back uh, because of our communities settling in them and helping the local economies grow. So in Erie County, we sell. You know, we have been uh, hugely supportive of Erie County Executive um, Polenkratz for his comments and his words of welcoming and uh, continuing to show New York as a state who we really are. You know, we want to see more of that and less of. Uh, those who are using, uh, you know, dangerous and violent rhetoric that we've seen uh, actually entice people to do dangerous and violent acts. Yeah, in municipalities where uh, elected officials have clearly indicated that uh, they don't want to have asylum seekers there, would you want to avoid putting asylum seekers there because the community, at least the elected officials, are openly hostile and it might not be a successful uh, integration that's this summer? Or would you want to force the asylum seekers onto communities uh, if they have the capacity and even if there is not necessarily a welcoming environment? I don't think that this is about forcing anything. Um, to be transparent with you, um, we have seen other communities over the past couple of years continuously come here and we've not seen this kind of vitriol that we're seeing, right? We help support, as the New York Immigration Coalition, our member agencies across the upstate New York with um, helping integrate Afghan nationals who were evacuated after the country collapsed um, here in the state of New York. Just you know, less than two years ago, we were helping newly arrived Ukrainians who came into the country and continue to support them. And it's, I think, a little bit disingenuous to see 
uh, folks who were welcoming of our Ukrainian brothers and sisters, as well as our Afghan brothers and sisters, now saying that, you know, we don't want these folks coming here. Um, we need to really uh, come together and realize that we're, we, we have a lot more in common than we do different. And, you know, we had over 50 people um, in Syracuse just the other day rallying against some of the, the rhetoric that was said by the county executive there and urging them to reverse course on their actions because Syracuse is a welcoming city and has always been and is one of the uh, cities that has benefited from the refugee resettlement program that is run by the federal government. What restrictions, if any, do you think there should be on where uh, asylum seekers are housed on a temporary basis? For example, uh, a state senator, a Democrat from Staten Island recently introduced uh, legislation that would preclude asylum seekers from being housed in anywhere where children might traditionally congregate, like daycare centers and schools. So does it make sense to you to have certain restrictions on where asylum seekers are being housed temporarily? I think that is more so along the lines of, in response, the New York City mayor trying to co-locate intake facilities at active school buildings, which we mm -hmm. also were against um, here in New York City, and have urged the mayor to cease the use of active school buildings um, immediately for, because uh, we don't want to disrupt school environments, and we don't think that that's an appropriate space for that. You know, New York City owns 17, 18,000 properties across the city and leases millions of square feet per year. So for us to be looking at active school buildings is, you know, not the right thing to do in this moment. We need to be thinking about empty space that we have plenty of here. The recently adopted state budget included $1 billion for New York City to address the influx of asylum seekers that it's seen. For starters, do you feel like that was enough of an investment based on uh, the situation at the time when state lawmakers and the governor were considering that investment? You know, I think that the investment of the $1 billion is a good first step. We're going to continue to have to support the collective immigrant community across New York uh, State, not just our recent arrivals, but making sure that we have uh, the proper services for all, right? We were successful in nearly tripling legal service funding. We need to go further. Um, we were able to um, see expansions in other key services for refugees, but we want to go further in the future and make sure that we're continuously showing up for our communities. Well, how would you like to see that $1 billion doled out now that New York City is looking to house some of the asylum seekers outside of the five boroughs. Should, for example, upstate counties be able to tap into that money? Should the state appropriate additional funds given the expansion of the issue? I think that we need to be providing support um, to any locality that is receiving and supporting individuals in the state. So this is not, uh, should it only go to New York City or nowhere else? It's we need to support folks where they end up and we need to actually continuously advocate to the federal government to also support us in this moment and make the system more fairer in the long run. Because what we're seeing right now is that people are having a, a really hard time getting into the immigration building to begin with, um, let alone being able to process their application. Um, so we just need to be able to move these different pieces forward as quickly as we can. And finally, what if 
anything would you like to see from Governor Kathy Hochul, aside from the monetary investments, uh, in terms of using her bully pulpit potentially on this issue or other policies that she could champion in Albany? You know, we've been working with Governor Hochul in this moment to make sure that we're coordinating as best as we can to provide the services and care that people need. Um, You know, we're working really closely with her office on that. Um, And we are going to continue to work with her office to make sure that we are delivering the same message to our federal partners and federal elected officials on the levels of support that we need. Um, But we have to continuously fight for a fairer New York by investing in healthcare, by investing in housing, and really making sure that we're, we're building a New York to withstand the centuries to come. Well, we've been speaking with Murad Awauda. He's the executive director of the New York Immigration Coalition. Murad, thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, David. We'll talk soon. And for more Capital Press Room content, visit capitalpressroom.org or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. And if you listen to us from an Apple device, make sure to leave us a rating and a review so it helps other people find the show. Room provided by the William G. Pomeroy Foundation. Communities across the Empire State have stories to tell. A roadside marker funded by the William G. Pomeroy Foundation can help your town or city educate the public, encourage pride of place, and promote local tourism. More about the Pomeroy Foundation's New York State Historic Marker Grant Program for 501c3 organizations, nonprofit academic institutions, and local state and federal government entities at wgpfoundation.org.